Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. Do you think the world's current understanding of sex is helping us or hurting us? Has religion been any better for us? In today's podcast and post, we continue our marriage tune-up with a discussion on sex, and I offer 10 perspectives that will reframe how we understand it from within the law of love. Join me now as we see beyond our confusion about sex, and I offer the single greatest path to sexual freedom and expression that eludes nearly all of us. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for coming back to yet another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host. My name is Kevin Winder, and I'm so glad to have you here. I know that many of you are new to this program, this broadcast, um, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I can tell you right now you're not here by an accident. I, it just is a, a way things are. I don't advertise I don't really promote. Um, so if you saw this on Facebook or Twitter or you just saw uh, something somewhere, um, you are on a journey. Maybe you didn't know that, <laughs> but you are. And here you are. And uh, together today, the next whatever amount of time this be- becomes, we are on a journey together. And I'm here to serve you with this content um, in hopes that it brings healing, transformation, joy to your life. And we are in a series right now uh, looking at our marriages. And if you are planning on getting married, this is a married, this is a great series for you as well. Um, I am trying to drive us to an understanding of love, marriage, and today we're going to talk about sex. But all three of these areas, our culture has such a low view of love, marriage, and sex. So I've been redirecting us, giving a basis, shaping the content so that you can see and compare your life to what a high view of love, marriage, and sex looks like. And I can tell by last week's open rates and forwards and all that kind of stuff that some of you just didn't get me. Um, Maybe it was painful. Maybe it was confusing. Maybe it didn't quite make sense. And trust me, I totally understand that. But I want to invite you to keep, hang in there, right? Don't just give up on this. It's too easy to default into the world's ideas. Uh, There is a higher standard and it brings us fulfillment and joy and peace and happiness and healing. All the things you really want You can't have those things and a low view of love, sex, and marriage. So today we are in part five, and this is what I call part five of the marriage tune-up. The title today is The Sex Talk, and it is podcast number uh, 417. So let's jump right into it. Now, I can tell you already this One will probably go a little longer than usual, and depending on how much I riff on each of these little sections, um, but if it's longer, it's for your good. So just, you know, listen to it over a couple of commutes in your car. Uh, Give yourself the time to kind of let some of what I'm saying marinate. Uh, You'll notice, as many of you do, that when you hear my content, whether it's on marriage, sex, or any other thing, that it immediately kind of pushes against something in you. Now, you may not realize this, but this is what the truth does. Like when you are bumping up against something that is a wider aspect of truth, you will immediately, we all do this, dismiss it as being untrue. Why? Because in our prideful arrogance, we assume that we already have the truth. And if you were offering something true, I would agree with you. Uh, But what's happening is I'm enlarging the framework of truth. And so at first, things sound wrong, crazy. You don't have categories to understand it. And then it takes a little bit. And then when you gain those categories or you put them together, all of a sudden, everything in your life changes. And that's the process. And I'm going to do that with sex today. 
And so I've deconstructed our culture's low view of marriage, its low view of love. And today I'm going to pick at its diminished view of sex. It's pathetic. And I've been weaving the Bible's meta-narrative and sacrificial love and the gift of marriage as the means for personal healing and growth. And that's very different than our, our world that says you got to find this on your own and then you're prepared for marriage, making marriage a destination that you end with once you've matured, as opposed to a place you start with for the purpose of healing and maturing. And so the Bible and I know when I say I'm going to use the Bible, many of you get a little twitchy, like you can just see some Bible-thumping pastor telling you, do not go in the back seat with your girlfriend. If you do, you're going to go to hell, right? Uh, or any of this other stuff that's baked into your religious frames. Uh, trust me, it was baked into mine too. I'm here to free you from that. Go with this. But you have to relearn the Bible, as I did. And when you see how amazing and powerful and beautiful it is, you're going to gain something that's going to transform your life. And that's what this is all about. The Bible does have a lot to say about the ways couples can structure their marriage. You know, and it has these hierarchies that cults get just obsessed with. But I'm convinced these are not the primary frameworks of relationships. When you say you have a biblical marriage and all you have is the biblical structure that Paul gave you in the early church framework of history, I say something's probably broken. Now, it might work for you, and if it does, God bless you. But you're missing the larger, bigger meta-narrative of the law of love through Scripture if that becomes the basis of your marriage, there's something bigger. There's something more beautiful. There's something more transformative and powerful. And I'm inviting you into it. The primary driver in all things is love. As our first experiences show us. And as we understand this love, the love of God for each of us. Yes, I'm bringing God and sex together. Hold on. <laughs> Put your floaties on. Then once we get that deeper love and apply it the best we can, that is the very same love going out to our world. So we have this vertical dimension in our understanding and frameworks of everything with God. And then we have this horizontal dynamic, right? And, you know, this is kind of how Jesus put it in Matthew 22. And the religious people came up and said, okay, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what is he saying here? He's saying the vertical dimension is the first and foremost aspect in your life. And out of that vertical dimension comes the horizontal dimension. And if you get love right, you don't have to worry about religion. Like when he says all the commandments, all everything in the law and the prophets hang on these two things. He's saying if you get this right, you get everything right. If you get this wrong, you can't get anything wrong, right. Everything's wrong. That's powerful. And it's a framework. It's a way of understanding. And so I'm pushing things through this grid. Okay. This is how you're going to understand me. I know that some of you kind of got lost last week because you thought I was going to just decode every problem. And I instead just said, here's the main root of the problem. And it wasn't satisfying to you. You wanted me to solve your problem. And I will if you call. But here's the best I can offer anyone is to know and submit to the law of love. And my content is going to be profoundly confusing until a person understands that premise. And I know you think you know what love is, just like I did, but I'm still rediscovering it. And as I rediscover new and wider and bigger dimensions of love, I realize I didn't really know it at all. And I fear that perhaps that may be you as well. Are you open to considering that? See, if we get love right, we get everything in religion right. If we get love wrong, no amount of religion or structure or abandonment of religion 
can help us correct our course, and that's the state of our world. See, in the name of sexual freedom, our culture has completely diminished sexuality on both sides of the discussion. You see, liberalism seeks freedom by widening sexuality to remove any stigma or shame associated with almost all sexual expression. Right? Think about it. There should be no shame. You should never feel guilty. You shouldn't be. That's some puritanical male dominant uh, culture forcing you to feel bad about your body, your life, your choice, whatever. Um, And that's our culture pushing back against these frameworks. But of course, think it through. Use your logic, people. Don't turn off your brain, especially you young people who scroll all the time. There is no scenario where all expression is is allowed, right? I mean, total freedom in our sexuality is still curtailed to protect the innocent and the unwilling. And so this means that the trajectory of liberalism of trying to find the most free sexual expression as possible is ultimately unobtainable. So we, the, the best you can offer is between consenting adults, anything is possible, right? That's how, it, that's how it works out. And our culture thinks it's finding freedom and it's losing itself. But I have a way you can be more sexually free. Uh-oh. Now all the fundamentalists just went to the unsubscribe button didn't you? Because you grew up in these frameworks and you knew. But listen, fundamentalism narrowed sexuality and it did so appropriately. It knew that there were boundaries to healthy, appropriate sexual expression. It said the committed marital relationship is the only framework. And I don't disagree with that. But it doing so, it diminished sexuality not elevated it. It diminished sexuality and stigmatized it in order to convince people to subscribe to this singular expression. Don't you know? Uh, If you don't follow God's law and only have sex within the confines of a marital relationship with only one person, then anything outside of that means you're going to hell. You're dirty, you're sinful, you're bad, you have a scarlet letter, you're a slut, you're a man whore, I don't know, whatever it is. Like the name calling. And in any church or religious situation, the biggest sex scandal of them all is the sex scandal, right? The biggest scandal is always the sex scandal. And so in doing it, the stigmatization of it diminished sexuality. It didn't free people into sexuality. And no surprising, many who stifled their sexuality and their youth discovered in their marriage that it was really hard to free it afterwards. So both sides got sex wrong by devaluing sex. So then what does it look like? Well, wisdom elevates sex. When you look at the biblical narrative, you see sex as celebrated. You cannot read the Song of Solomon, the most like sexually provocative poetry in the Bible, and not realize that the Bible is 100% advocating for awesome sex. And the wisdom I'm offering can heal us by first realizing that both camps require restraint. Like you can't, Freedom is not obtained by no restraint. Freedom is actually obtained by the correct amount of restraint. You have no restraint or too much and you lose your freedom. And such restraints is required to rightly value sexual intimacy so that it's not so high as to become an idol nor so low as to become a sin. So healing our sexuality really requires that we understand it. And I believe we misunderstand it because we assume we know what sexuality is based on our culture and our personal experience. I mean, you're just told it's what sex is, but then you go out and you have these awkward teenage experiences, conversations, and everything else around it. And then the most uninformed people, teenagers, are educating us about it. (laughs) 
Listen, I don't speak as someone as having a complete and perfect knowledge here, folks. But I would love to share 10 perspectives which I've discovered and applied to my life, which I think will enlarge your capacity and sexual experience. All right, are you ready? Let's start. I got 10 of them, and here's number one. Sex is knowing. The Bible says Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. So knowing is intimate knowledge. It's to know a person in a way that is shared with no others. And when sex is divorced from the knowledge of the whole person, or when that knowledge is shared by many others, intimate knowledge is diminished and potentially lost. In a world where a growing one's body count is praised, like that just makes it's a badge of honor, not just for men anymore, but now for women too. The cost is our ability to know and be known intimately. I hear this, I use this expression a lot, and I taught my kids that if you take two pieces of tape that have never stuck anything to each other, and you stick them to the wall, and then the carpet, and then the cat, and then the countertop, and then a million other things, now take those two pieces of tape that you've stuck everywhere and try and stick them together. This is the metaphor for sexuality. This is what's happened in our culture. We take what should be truly sticky and we stick it everywhere it shouldn't be stuck. Then when we get to the marriage where the two pieces of tape are designed to stick permanently together, they don't stick. We don't get it. We miss it. See, our soul has been lost in these transactions of sex, not transformation by sex. And so that soul will struggle to find anything real or lasting. When you diminish sex to just the next thing or the next person or the next, I'm just horny, um, you lose yourself. And of course you know that, but then you deny it and you try and gauge that you haven't lost yourself by talking to friends who also have lost themselves. And so no one has any real bearings here. And despite the foolish advice of our world, this is not how we come to know ourselves. (laughs) This is how we come to choose and forget who we are. Okay? So sex is knowing. Number two, sex is sacred. In the same way that love shares an X and Y axis, so does sex. See, in our horizontal expression is first grasped in the vertical plane. (laughs) You didn't think I was going to go there, did you? Yeah, sexual union is the ultimate physical expression of human intimacy. Tim Keller, pastor from New York that recently passed away, one of my uh, just favorite teachers, explained how the Eucharist, the communion table, is likened to intercourse in its intimacy of divine union. In the emblems, we are taking God into us and Both parties are transformed by the event. Now, I'm not suggesting God wants to have sex with us. (laughs) I'm not suggesting you try and have sex with God. Uh, that's, That's to miss what I'm trying to say. What I am saying is that intimate knowing is a bodily experience of God's intimate knowing within us. And because it works on the love axis of vertical horizontal, Sex is that receiving of God in totality and the giving of ourself to God in totality. Remember I said marriage is not two people, it's three. And so it is sacred. And this intimate knowing is this bodily experience of a spiritual loving, dare I say love-making, It's not just two bodies bumping up against each other. This is two souls who have come to know each other deeply, completely, and who are giving and exchanging themselves in love. And so, like, this is is way more than our culture 
makes it out to be. They just make it out to be a biological thing. Oh, I have a biological urge to have sex with this person, so let's just go do that. Oh, but don't kiss. And maybe after a few you know, few episodes of us doing this, we'll we'll ask ourselves: Are we are we maybe liking each other? Are, are we dating? Are we exclusive? Like like the dating comes after the sex. Like this is how confused and jacked up our world actually is. They think the intimacy and the sex are completely opposite things. One's biology and something is emotional. And this shows us how to elevate sex into a consecrated human relationship, which is the context for sex. Consecrated. Where and when we have laid down our life for the other person. Sex outside of that is not in the bounds of love and it is going to derail your life, I assure you. Go ahead and try though. Number three, sex is giving and receiving. The giving and receiving of the beloved can only be done as a whole. Like you have the W-H-O-L-E, okay? The giving and receiving is this exchange. So anything other than a fully orbed, whole being giving away of oneself is a taking of the part of the other. To only give a part of oneself is to withhold. So taking and withholding diminish sexuality and dismember the other person. Like you're literally just in your mind, all you want is that part. And you've dismembered them. You've cut off all of their emotional baggage, their weaknesses, their strengths, their, they talk too much, the, the parents, the in-laws, the, the baggage that comes with them. Like you don't want any of that. You just want their body. Like that's dismemberment. It's objectifying what should be known subjectively. This is a subject, not an object here. Behold, this is a person, a whole person, a soul, not a body. See, a biological definition of sex has misled people into believing that sex is a biological process just like digestion. And you're free to just go have biology wherever you want to have biology. It doesn't have to mean a thing. A person need not exist. So you can just have an inanimate object, you know, cyber sex or whatever, sex dolls. I mean, all this stuff is expanding in the marketplace and people are getting weird and young men and women... Women are having more sex than young men, and that's a switch. Like, where are the guys going? Because you know guys didn't stop getting horny all of a sudden. Yeah, it's like, you know what it is. It's like, get off the computer, dude. But they've sexualized everything without the person. You see how that happens? It's just biology. You're just doing what biology does. That is the lie of the world. It's, it's, it's carved us out. But the biblical revelation is that our bodies belong sexually to our beloved. They do not belong to ourself. Think about that. My body, myself. No, not your choice, not your body. No, it's your beloved's body. Like you have to be in a place of complete giving away of your body completely to this other person. That's fully orbed. That's the whole deal. That's the biblical level. We're so far from that in our culture. So sex is giving and receiving. Number four, sex is conflated. It's confused with the deeper realities. Like sexual intimacy is intended to be the complete giving and receiving of the other and is a safe and healing thing in a relationship where it is an acceptable acceptance of the whole person. Okay, so I'm... Going another layer deeper here. Uh, when you accept the whole person, you take not just the body that you want, but you take all the things you may not want. Ah, their debt, <laughs> their uh, addictions, their anger, their reactions. Their they talk too loud. They talk too fast. They talk too much. They snore. They Whatever it is that annoys you, you, you're taking that as part of this whole person. Now, when we hide instead of heal, we hold back our insecurities and our weaknesses. We're trying to just present what looks best and is best in front, right? And then 
sex loses actual intimacy. And then intimacy scares us. And so now we are in this place where people are sexually active, but they're not intimate. Non-intimate sex then masks over those unredeemed parts. So when a person can be sexually you know, engaged, but not intimate, you know that they have pain that is unredeemed. They are broken inside. Like I used to work with a residential treatment center for women and young girls who were abused. And many of them go on to be extremely promiscuous. Uh, and this is not a, a shock. It happens to young boys as well. That you violate the sexuality and then they become very sexually promiscuous, but they are not intimate. Now, this dives to the deeper wound. And it establishes a wedge in relationships, creating more dysfunction. So, yes, this is the kind of baggage that comes into a marriage and really prohibits two people from coming together. If that's part of your history, an honest conversation is what's before you on the healing journey. And even in marriage, this violates the law of love through mutual usury. So you might marry someone and you have a way of working around it, but this is still violating the law of love even though you're married. Sex early in relationships does this. When couples believe the relationship is closer than it actually is, they jump into bed on the first date or whatever just because everything felt right. But then later they're like, man, this ain't right. And all of their insecurities and weaknesses and baggage and pain comes out and blocks them from ever being intimate and engaging. And that's it. And it's just a serial... Uh, situationships instead of true relating. So let's first see if the other will receive our unredeemed parts. And if not, never give your body away to someone who will not lay down their life for you. And I get that straight from Dr. Laura. And I think she's right about that one. Number five, sex must be restrained. Oh, I know. Gosh, Oh, the more progressive and liberal you are, that's just fundamental. That's just going back into the art. You know, listen, that's not going back. I mean, if you go back to the Roman times, they were far less restrained than we are today, I assure you. But sex must be restrained. It is an appetite. I get it. You cannot give vent to your appetites, none of them, spending, eating, sexuality. They will all mislead you. They will all ruin your life if you, if you live for your appetite. There is no scenario where unfettered sexual expression is permissible. Instead, life is full of seasons where sex must be restrained. The world is not a sex buffet. You can't, if you, can you imagine too, like people who are like in support of total sexual freedom and then they sit there talking and one guy's like, oh yeah, yeah hey, is that your daughter over there? I, you know, I think I'm going to have un filtered sexual freedom with her how would you feel about that it's like all of a sudden the <laughs> it's like wait a minute what happened to those ideals right it's it's nonsense don't think that even exists because it doesn't sex will violate the law of love if we engage in it when both parties will not lay down their lives for the other in marriages there are also seasons and times for restraint and sickness. Bible says in times of prayer, pull back from sexuality and then come back together afterwards, right? You could be sick. Yeah, as you age, there are physical changes that curtail or even stop sexuality. There are times of struggle, times of prayer. All these things, you know, slow down or put a pause on our sexual engagement. This is normal. This is healthy. This is fine. It's not a problem. And it, you have to understand that there are times where you all have to live celibate. We all do. No one is escaping it. If you're young, if you're an adolescent, if you're not married, if you're in college, all these times are times for restraint, not for unfiltered free expression. I know that sounds like a party killer. This doesn't mean the marriage is broken or deficient if you have to put sex on the back burner for a little bit. It's just not the season for sex. Now, seasons don't last. So it is important that sexuality come back to the relationship. It's vital. So explore if one or the other resists 
sex for prolonged periods, that's an indication. That's a check engine light. Something needs to be explored. Number six, sex is important play, not duty. And I mean that. Like in relationships, I know that sometimes it's like, well, it's my marital duty. I just got to do it. Or my husband gets weird. Um, and, you know, that's maybe true because <laughs> that does happen, right? Uh, but sex is a shared responsibility. It's not a duty. So as each gives themselves to the relationship, it's vital to have open conversations about what is needed sexually, what is expected sexually, what is desired sexually. Now, Listen, I have counseled a lot of people in my years, and I can tell you it's amazing to me the number of marriages where the husband or the wife cannot tell their own spouse what they desire sexually. They've never really had a talk about what they like and don't like, what they expect and hope for, what they need that person to do. They don't train each other in how to know and love one another. As a self-giving gesture, one must make themselves available to the other and take responsibility for their satisfaction. See, if you're taking, it's all about you. But if you're giving, it's all about them. And this includes a lifestyle of trying. It, it means staying fit. It means, you know, check your hygiene, right? It means be healthy, it means every other level of human condition, connection, I'm sorry, is, is important. Like, don't just let yourself go and then expect your spouse to just be all about you sexually. That's like the trap of the century is to say we are going to be only for each other sexually. And then one or both of you just let go of the reins in your life and you get out of shape and you get unhealthy. Your hygiene goes to you know, the garbage. And now, like, what aspect of that is desirable from a sexual perspective? Like, this needs to be a responsibility that is shared so that both people are presenting themselves as positively as they possibly can. That can be respected. You don't have to be perfect. You never were, and you don't have to be now. You just have to have that gesture as part of your expression of love and then sexuality takes over it's not an isolated part from the whole set nor the whole marriage it's icing on the cake not the cake you see the whole lifestyle of trying is what leads to the important play and the avoidance of play is a mirror that reflects deeper pain which needs healing so if one party is just letting themselves go there's a deeper wound that needs to be explored like that sometimes is the way you know gaining a lot of weight getting unhealthy getting bad hygiene something like that is a way to keep the person from engaging sexually so here's the next one are you ready <laughs> okay number seven pornography is not harmless like this is our world it's cavalier towards sex and this cavalier attitude towards sex coincides with the rise of access to sexual content online. And so the generations who've grown up with unlimited access to sexual content are now dating less. They're finding intimacy challenges uh, as porn actually rewires brain chemistry and the sexual response cycle. Now, I talk a lot about this in my book, Getting Better When You Can't, and how that works and how you undo that. And I can tell you in my years of pastoring and counseling, one of the single greatest discussions that I have, especially when dealing with young men and young married couples, is the issue of pornography. And that has only expanded uh, and not diminished. Whereas, But the difference is that in the past, 10 years ago even, Sex, uh, pornography was had a little shame associated with it. Uh, nowadays, people don't even think like there's anything wrong. It's like, oh, it's just part of the day. Like, oh, there's just that, you know, all this sex is always part of my feed. And so this violates the law of love. 
when the person gives themselves to an image or to a part rather than to the whole, the real person. And pornography is not an issue of nudity. Like this is where the church and everything just got so jacked up. Oh my gosh, you, I saw a nipple. That's pornography. You know, uh, listen, the Victoria's Secret catalog is not pornography. Um, some of these puritanical views are insane. Um, the way that fundamental wives have misunderstood this has ruined many marriages. Okay. Um, Pornography is not about nudity, and it's not a matter of showing too much. Like, there's nothing sinful about sexuality. There's nothing sinful, per se, about the sex act. The, the problem of pornography is not that it shows people too much. It's that it doesn't show people enough. It only shows the sex act. It doesn't show all of the insecurities and and pain and debt and sorting out the life problems and getting along and everything else that comes with the whole person. They're only showing the body is the thing to be consumed, right? Now, second, pornography is not sexual content. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Pornography is not sexual content of any kind. <laughs> How is that possible, Kevin? Well, listen, Jesus explains what por pornography is. He, he, we get the word pornography from this Greek word called porneia, which is sexual immorality. Check out Mark 7.14. He says, it's not something on the outside trying to get in, but it's within the human heart seeking a place to get out. The thing that corrupts us is not on the outside coming in. It's on the inside coming out. It's the human heart. So pornography is not sexual content, and I can prove this, and I do it, I've done it many times helping people. It's, you know, I'll say to a, a, a man who's struggling with this, and I'll say, okay, uh, I want you to imagine the most perfect pornography that you possibly can, the, the woman that meets every parameter of expectation and the scenario and all of that, okay? Now, I want you to go onto the computer and find that scenario. And while you're trying to find it, they are going to pass over image after image after image after image after image after image. And supposing they do find it, and then they do. What I point out is that all those images were not the pornography. The pornography is the one that snags your heart, that thing that snags your heart. So you, you, the scrolling on the, online or on your phone or all that, it's not the pornography. It's your heart, and you can get that at the checkout line at the, at the grocery store when the wrong person walks by in the wrong workout outfit or whatever it is. Like, you don't rein it in in your heart there. It's, you're missing it, and this is why Jesus said, you know, if, if you lust in your heart, it's you've already committed adultery with that woman in your heart. Now, this is where the fundamental wives just go off the rails. They, they, they break down marriages saying, well, you looked at that other woman. You desired her. You committed adultery with her. And they equate it. And yes, on the heart level, it is the same. But women in pornography don't generally, although now women are more and more addicted to it, but generally that's not their default mode in marriages or weakness. Their default mode is worry. And so Jesus says several times, do not worry about today. Do not worry about your clothes. Do not worry about your food. Do not worry about your life. And yet women are free to ignore Jesus teaching there. And they worry all the time and it's socially acceptable. And you can go to you know, church and be a worrier. You can, you can be in your marriage and be a worrier. And never has a man said, I'm leaving you because you worried. Yet this is the same. It works on the heart in the same way. And so, like, it, it, this might be a place of understanding where you learn the pain and the brokenness and, the, and the, you take on the unredeemed part of the other and love it into the relationship. So my wife used to be a worrier, right? I used to struggle with lust. And these types of things work together. As she receives me and my weakness, I receive her and her weakness. And over the years, these big gorillas have turned into small little monkeys. 
And so worry and lust are the areas of the inner self, the cardia, the soul, the real self, where we're confused, we're wounded, we're idolatrous. All of us are that way. So don't go leaving your man because he saw a nipple on a rated R movie. Don't, don't keep getting all offended when, you know, your wife is worrying. Let's get over this. Like, this can be totally not just healed, but a platform for which we gain new understanding. The work of the heart is the big issue here. Both are healed in the context of love. Where we experience validation, approval, acceptance. Like, what is a guy searching for really? What does that image give him really? It's the illusion of validation woman looks on the camera like she wants him she approves of him she receives him she accepts him that's what is the deeper driver of all of this sexual content but we don't know how to go after it now we have a world that's completely lost and confused with the whole thing if you have an issue here give me a call i can straighten you out in about a 30 minute phone call and you'll feel a hundred times better and if you're fundamental or your wife or any of you, like you have this issue in your relationship, call me. We'll get there. Number eight, sex is a waveform. You see, each person has highs and lows with regard to their desire for sexual intimacy. This is not just libido. Yes, everybody has a different libido. Some people want it every day. Some want it once a week, once a month, whatever it is. But that's not what I'm talking about entirely. I'm talking about the waveform. There's a rhythm. Like it's important to understand the beloved's waveform and work towards syncing with them. Like there's a, 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 it's like breathing. You inspire, you take air in, and then you expire and you take air out. You blow air out. You can't live in either inspiration or expiration. In the same way of walking a holy life, you can't live in perfect holiness. So you always fall on your face into sin and trouble and failure and weakness. It's the human pattern. But then out of that weakness and failure, you, you'd make changes and turn and you, you restore your life and you, you do better, right? And so there's a waveform to life. It's like breathing. Everything goes in waveforms. Heartbeats, blood, traffic, energy, light. Everything's a waveform. Sexuality is too. So if you understand the waveform and you can sync with your, all of a sudden you're getting to a new level of sexuality and intimacy. The issue of frequency must be shared and respected or the issue gets blown out of proportion very fast. And this leads me to number nine, okay? Number nine, not only is sex a waveform, but number nine, sex is only a big deal when it's broken, yeah, sex is a big deal when it's broken. It functions like a check engine light. Like my friend has said, and I've quoted already in this series, sex is 10% of a good marriage and 90% of a bad one. And so the natural warp and weft of life, when shared with someone to whom you are sacrificially giving yourself, will naturally bring sexual intimacy to the forefront as part of the joy and the play and the desire to please one another. And it's a part of the desire to known and be known of the other. So when sex falls to the backdrop, when sex is avoided or when it's not desired, there is usually an area of pain or confusion which needs to be healed before that flow is established again. Sex grows into a big deal when we blame it for all the other big deals we don't deal with. And sometimes the best way through it is for the marriage to just do it. And why do I say that? It's true. And you'll see this in behavioral psychology. When couples come in and they're really struggling with sexual intimacy and they get stuck. And then now it's been three months or six months or three years. And then sex becomes this big deal. And most of the clinicians will say, just go home and do it and get it out of the way. And then it'll work. And it usually does. But here's the thing. It became a big deal in your mind. And part of that is this inability to understand the waveform and the pattern and everything else that's going on. You don't know the whole person. You don't receive the whole person. You're standoffish. You're withholding. You're not giving. You're taking. Like there's all these dynamics that, that jack up our sexual intimacy. 
Now, it becomes a big deal when it's broken. The way out is usually to just re-engage. And a lot of times, like women are wanting their men to be more attentive and nurturing and sympathetic and kind of the softer side. Uh, and usually a man who is withheld, has had sex withheld from him, that softer side is going to get further and further removed. But then on the other side of sex, that softer man is there. And so what you have to get back into is the rhythm where that softer side is available because the sexual side has been taken care of. It's the same for women. Like you, the, the dynamic is not always universally true, but generally it is true that women have sex so they can be in a relationship and men have relationships so they can have sex. But both are true for each. So if you keep it as a waveform and then it flow, then you're both gen generally experience a holistic relationship with sex and neither can tell the other apart. Does that make sense? Like there's a wisdom here, but you need to kind of discern it. Okay, number 10, last one. I know we're getting long here. So I'm going to say this last one and then I have a few closing words, okay? Number 10, sex is sinful when it violates the law of love. I know some of you are probably like, is he ever going to say sex is a sin? Um, yeah, it is. But guess what? Here is another situation where it doesn't always line up like you were told. Both liberalism and conservatism got this wrong. And I've steered clear of the religious rules, right? The condemnation over sex as best I can. Why? Because what we know it doesn't help you to be condemned over your sexuality. Like a lot of us have made a big mess of our lives with our sexual choices, our behaviors. We've done things that are stupid. Now we have consequences that are staying with us. Maybe we have children. Maybe we have had an affair that ruined a marriage. Maybe um, we got a disease that's lasting, right? There's a million other things that could stay with a bad decision. And I'm not here to beat you down in the same way that Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. So that goes out to you. I hope you hear the grace that's embedded in here. I'm not here to condemn you and tell you. But here's what I can say. Sex is sacred. It is beautiful. Sex is amazing. But it can also be a life-disrupting sin. Being in a loving, self-sacrificing marriage is where sex is clearly the most healthy expression. So I have a high view of marriage, a high view of love, a high view of, of sex, and all three belong in the institution of marriage. But let me say this, being married doesn't necessarily make sex sinless. Just because you're married doesn't mean the sex that you're having with your wife is without sin. It could be equally as sinful as sex outside of that parameter so long as it does not uphold the law of love. You see, if we seek to avoid sin, marriage isn't the escape that it promises. We, we have to seek the highest and most sacred expression of sex, and that is in marriage. So, like, if you have the law of love working in a relationship and marriage is not the goal, then you don't have the law of love working. Like, why wouldn't you get married? Why wouldn't you make a lifelong commitment to this person? What about them is holding you back? What about you is holding you back? You see, you're not giving yourself. You're not emptying yourself. That person's not... Uh, entrusting to you. So now you're stuck. Now you are not in the law of love. And yes, sex in that situation is sinful. If you want to uphold the law of love, how would marriage not be the ultimate goal? How would learning to self-donate entirely not be the prerequisite before sexual experience? Like, as I train my kids about sexuality and dating, it's like, 
hold off on that and learn if this person is able to give themselves to you. Do never, ever give your body to someone who will not lay their life down for you. See, you don't need me to tell you if your sexual expression is wrong. You already kind of know it. You've probably have some weird adaptation around it. And we know we live from a low view of love, sex, and marriage. It's just so common. How can we rise above it? And if we do live from that, whether we are married or not, we are violating the law of love, and we are living in sin. And we can change that. We can strive for a higher view. We can pause. We can re-engage in conversation and go deeper with the person. And if that's not a person you can go deeper with, then please stop. Pull back. Hit the brakes. Reassess. Get healing before you keep going. Don't stay in a marriage or a relationship because you're just desperate. See, in such a case, we have to return to that X and Y axis. See, the reason it's broke is you're stuck on the Y axis. Go back to God. Find love again and then learn how to apply that to the other. So those are my 10 things, okay? And before I close, I just want to ask you, was that what you expected? You know, I hope you can perceive the nuances of wisdom here. There's no single standard between two people. There's freedom between two people. Each couple is only as free as their understanding and their commitment to the law of love. And the less we know of love, and remember, God is love. So the less we know of God, the more corrupt our sexuality becomes. So if we truly want the freest expression of sexuality, and I think everybody kind of does, whether you're repressing it or expressing it, it doesn't come by either repressing nor expressing or getting rid of any kind of reining in of that desire. Free expression of sexuality comes by tempering it through love. So love is the guide rail, and it's our sexual desire is tempered through that. And rather than imprisoning people into some regressive puritanical notion that just bores us, the law of love allows for a couple to continually go deeper and find richer and more satisfying connections through and ultimately beyond our sexuality because the whole of life is not our sexuality and I hate to say this but like you're not defined by your sexual preference that's not who you are it never was it never will be and sexuality is a season of life it is not all of life getting it wrong is not the end of the world but folks there's so much more but to miss love you miss it all go back to the scripture I started with Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get that and you get everything. You miss that and we miss everything. So when love is our greatest desire, sex kind of sorts itself out. May God bless you as you contemplate these things.